Well, good evening, Tri-Valley. Uh, you can tell it's nighttime. I am here at a park that's near my house. It's pretty late. I hear crickets chirping in the distance. There's stars out. Uh, every once in a while I hear a voice go by. I got this bright light in my face. I can't really see anything. Uh, I'm not really even sure if I'm supposed to be here, um, but I'm out and it's nighttime. And it's a reminder that sometimes when you follow Jesus, uh, you follow him into places you didn't expect it to be, like in the middle of the park uh, in the evening time. And we're in a series right now called Watch and Learn, or How to Treat People the Way that Jesus Did. And it's an exercise in reminding ourselves that we're Jesus' disciples, not just so that we can learn from him, which we do want to do, but we want to learn and then we want to apply what we see in our lives. And we're following Jesus as he encounters different people in the Gospel of John. And tonight we're going to follow Jesus out of the comfort of our homes and into the night for a secret clandestine meeting with a Jewish religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. We're going to get to watch how Jesus receives Nicodemus. We're going to get to overhear their conversation. And then we're going to ask ourselves, what does this have to do with us? What does it mean as followers of Jesus to be like him and treat people the way that he treated Nicodemus? So let's, let's follow him into the night together. I'm going to read from John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. We're going to stop right there. I just want to point out one thing. And that is the fact that they are meeting at night. Nicodemus was a religious leader. He could have met Jesus while he was in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. He could have had a conversation with him out in public, like most of the other dialogues that we see in the Gospels. But for some reason, he goes to meet Jesus at night. Now, if some of you said, Jacob, I really need to see you. I want to talk with you. Why don't we meet in a park in the middle of the night? I, I might meet you there, but I probably would first say, why don't we meet in the daytime at a Starbucks, at a normal place? Uh, it's kind of a strange request, and we don't really know why Nicodemus met Jesus at night. But it could have been that he was interested in following Jesus. He'd heard about the signs that he'd performed, like the turning the water into wine at the wedding like we looked at last week. Maybe he'd done some more healings or miraculous things at the Passover feast in Jerusalem. So he's coming to start to believe in Jesus, and he wants to learn more. He wants to ask him some questions, but he doesn't want to do it in front of people. Uh, he wants to, yes, talk to Jesus, but do it off the record. And so the first thing we see with Jesus is that he's willing to oblige Nicodemus. He's willing to meet this request and get together with him on his terms. 
at night. And I think this demonstrates a lot of patience with Jesus. You'll notice he doesn't say to Nicodemus, yeah, I'd say a lot of things and I have a teaching tomorrow morning, so if you want to come and hear about it, you can meet me over on the mount where I have a sermon scheduled. He goes and he meets Nicodemus at night and he engages him in this conversation. That patience is important for us as followers of Jesus to demonstrate as well. Sometimes it's easy to get impatient with people who are seeking answers about God or people who are new to the concept of following Jesus. And we can tend to think from our perspective, well, I've already arrived and I already have this understanding, so you should have this knowledge as well. Sometimes Christians who've been Christians for a long time get frustrated with Christians who haven't been following Jesus very long if they don't automatically start to pick up on some of the traditional expressions of faith like uh, going to church or being involved with a congregation or Bible study or prayer. But I think we need to take a note from Jesus here and exercise that patience and realize that spiritual transformation doesn't happen overnight, but it's something that takes time. A few years ago, I took Lisa swing dancing and she'd been asking me if I'd take her swing dancing for like ever since we started dating, really. And I didn't really want to go, so I kept putting it off and saying, yeah, yeah, we'll do that someday. And then 12 years later, <laughs> I took her swing dancing. I'm a good husband. <laughs> so I found this place in Oakland where they give you instructions on swing dancing before they open it up for the general public. And I'd never did any swing dancing before, but I'm not a rhythmic and I, I, I figured I know how to dance. I can probably pick this up. That was not the case. Uh, I, I showed up and I really didn't know what I was doing, but they were patient with me. And they showed me the shuffle step and they introduced me to the, the music that we'd be dancing to. And they did exercises where you switch partners and you kind of learned different ways of doing it. And I started to get better. And then by the time they opened it up to the general public, all these swing dancing aficionados showed up and they knew what they were doing. And so they kind of gave us some tips and we got to watch them in action do their thing. And while I started that night not being very good at swing dancing, by the time the night was over, I was still not very good at swing dancing. And that may have been the uh, first <laughs> and last time I experienced swing dancing. Sorry, Lisa, uh, that, that's, that's all we got to do. <laughs> But I think that the church can take a lesson from the swing dancing community and recognize that picking up something that's new is going to take time. It doesn't come naturally for newcomers and we need to exercise the same patience that Jesus shows. So we see here that Jesus is willing to make time for Nicodemus and that's an important thing. But we also see here that Nicodemus makes the time to get together with Jesus. And you know, he could have very easily just said, wow, this Jesus is sure is an interesting guy but uh, I don't have time to investigate it. I don't want people to see me, so I'm just gonna blow it off. Instead, he makes a point to get together with Jesus at night and to investigate a little bit more. And uh, this, is, this is an important thing to notice as well. I think sometimes Christians assume that if somebody doesn't go to church or isn't already following Jesus, then they've made up their mind that they won't, that they have investigated all the possibilities and they have said, I don't believe, I, I won't believe, that's the end of the story. But I don't think that that's the case. I think in a lot of cases, people have just not asked the question or been invited to follow Jesus. And we'll talk about that more a little bit later. But we assume sometimes that people are atheists because they don't go to church, but it may just be that they're so busy, there's so much going on in their lives that they haven't slowed down to investigate it. But that's what we see Nicodemus doing here. Um, there's a quote that I heard from a guy named Richard 
Rollheiser, and he puts it pretty well about the busyness of life and how it's, it's not faithlessness. Sometimes it's just that we are going at a breakneck speed that we don't slow down to investigate the way that Nicodemus does here. This is what he says. It's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It is just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. And then here's the, here's the tweetable line. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Jesus made time for Nicodemus. Nicodemus made time for Jesus. And I think we need to do the same. Let's read on in this encounter. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, and so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. We're going to unpack that in just a second, because there's a lot going on here. But the second thing that we see in this encounter is that Jesus speaks Nicodemus's language. And this is an important thing to see. He's trying to explain some things to him, and it's clear that Nicodemus doesn't really understand. And he identifies, hey, you're Israel's teacher, and then he goes to an example from Israel's history. This whole thing about Moses and the bronze snake, if you're not familiar with this story, this is something that Nicodemus would have been very familiar with. In Numbers 21, there's this weird little story that takes place when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. You remember the story, the uh, Israelites were rescued from Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and they met God out in the desert. But then they started grumbling and then things kind of got bad. And then all these snakes enter the camp and start biting people. So Moses prays to God and God says, here's what you should do. You should make a bronze snake and you should hang it on a pole in the center of camp. And anybody who gets bitten by a snake, if they look at this pole, then they will be healed. Not because the bronze snake is magic or anything like that, but because God will bring them healing. So this is what Jesus does for Nicodemus here. He's trying to explain things to him, and he uses this story from Israel's past. And we know, because we know how this story goes, that he's foreshadowing himself being raised up on the cross. He says, just as that bronze snake was raised up, and was the way that so many people were saved from these snake bites. So the Son of Man, this is a phrase Jesus refers to, uses to refer to himself, the Son of Man is going to be raised up. We know he's talking about the cross, but Nicodemus doesn't know this. And if you're reading John for the first time, you don't know this. So again, we have Jesus's mission and his identity kind of slowly unfolding a little bit at a time. But what I notice here is that Jesus decides to use an example from Israel's history to explain a spiritual concept that was new to Nicodemus. And this isn't just something that Jesus does here. This is something that he does throughout the Gospels. He explains difficult concepts to people using things that they will understand. And this is something that 
Christians should do as well. As followers of Jesus, we should explain things not in terms that we understand. I think a lot of times we get carried away with religious jargon or we get wrapped up in our, our traditions and things like that. And we forget that there are these new swing dancers just trying to keep up with us and we need to bring things to their level. That's what Jesus does for Nicodemus here by relating his crucifixion with this story from Numbers chapter 21. I remember one time, I didn't do this so well. Jesus does this well, but I don't always pull this off. One time when I was in youth ministry, a student came to me and said, hey, uh, I didn't grow up in church, but I'm really interested in Jesus, and I want to talk about following him, and I want to know more about baptism. I said, that's great. So I grabbed a couple Bibles, and we went to, to Dickie's Barbecue. We grabbed some sodas, sat across the table from each other, and I opened up, I started with John 1, and I was like, let's just talk about, you know, the Word became flesh, and in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. I said, oh, but you know what? This is actually a reference to Genesis 1. Do you know Genesis 1? Oh, we got to read this. And then we flipped over to Genesis 1, and we did in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then like, oh, but then here's what happened after the creation. Genesis 3, there was sin, and Adam and Eve, and the garden, and the fall, and then, oh, but you got to understand that there's good news for sin. Flip over to Romans 6, and it's the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Yay, this is exciting. What does eternal life mean? Well, let's talk about 2 Corinthians 5, a new creation in Christ, and then flip over to 1 Corinthians 15, and talk about resurrection. And this student after about 10 minutes, was completely lost. He was very polite, and he was kind of like nodding along, like, yeah, 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 but I could, he was looking out the window, and I could tell that I had lost him. I had geeked out on things that I was really excited about, and that made a lot of sense to me, but I sort of left him in the dust. I wasn't speaking at his level. I wasn't speaking a language that he could understand. But Jesus does this extremely well. When he's with fishermen, he talks about fishing. When he's with farmers, he talks about farming. When he's among people who want to debate, he's willing to debate with them. He talks Torah with the Jewish religious leaders like Nicodemus. And he does it all so that he can help people understand the things of God a little bit better. And that's a good note for us. Being able to speak someone's language, meet them where they're at. It requires having a relationship with the person. It requires knowing what kinds of things they do understand. It requires some empathy and some understanding on our part. If you run across somebody who's really, really passionate about justice, that's an easy opportunity to say, well, you know what? So is God. Read the Old Testament prophets. He's all about justice and caring for the, the widow and the orphan and making sure that things are equitable in society. Or if you run across someone who really, really has a heart for the poor, or the marginalized, or the forgotten in society. That's Jesus' whole mission. He was all about freeing the captives and bringing sight to the blind, and he was always hanging around with the outcasts. There's some easy connections to make there, but you gotta know where to find them, and you gotta be able to speak people's language. So what we see so far with Jesus and Nicodemus is that he was willing to meet him on his own terms, and uh, he was able to speak his language. Let's read this last, last section together. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. 
But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. The last thing I want to point out is that Jesus invites Nicodemus into something new. The invitation is the key point that I want us to focus on. But first, let me tell you another story. Uh, In the early 90s, Seattle was this place of culture that was kind of blowing up, and it was getting a lot of the world's attention. You might remember this. It was uh, grunge music coming out of Seattle and the, this coffee shop culture and you know, wearing flannels around your waist. So I lived near Seattle at this time, uh, but I was still in middle school. So I, I heard about it and I saw it on TV, but I didn't really experience it until one day this family friend of ours, a teenager who was a little bit older than me, who had a car and she could drive. She came and she said, Jacob, I'm going to take you and you're going to have an authentic Seattle experience. And I said, okay, sounds good. So she picked me up in this muscle car that she had. We drove into the Seattle center and there was this big outdoor concert with bands that I'd heard on the radio and songs that I knew. And it was this big rock and roll experience. And uh, there was a mosh pit and it was awesome. And some of you are thinking, Jacob, That doesn't sound awesome to me. That doesn't sound like my idea of a good time. Well, you know what? Your opinion is wrong because it was awesome. It was this amazing experience for me. And then after the concert, she took me to an authentic Seattle coffee shop. And I'm not talking about Starbucks. I'm talking about this privately owned place with posters on the wall and good coffee. And we ordered some onion rings and we read indie magazines. And I can tell you that this was the coolest that I have ever been. Well, Jesus does the same thing for Nicodemus here. What? He takes him to a mosh pit? No, but he shows him that there's this new world that he hasn't experienced. But he doesn't just leave it at that. He doesn't just say, it's out there. It's really great. I've experienced it myself. He invites Nicodemus to participate in it. He gets the invitation. He does this in a couple places in this passage that we've read. One of the things he does is he tells Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, then you have to be born again, or some translations say born from above. But however you translate it, it's this concept of being baptized into God's Holy Spirit. And he tells him that in order to see God's kingdom, you must be born of water and the spirit, a water baptism and a spirit baptism. Now, these sometimes are two concepts that have been at odds with each other because of how certain Christian groups have emphasized one over the other. Sometimes they'll, the, certain groups will say, it's, it's, it's all about water baptism. You got to get wet. And the other group over here will say like, no, it's all about spirit baptism. You got to get the Holy Ghost. Water, spirit, water, spirit. But what does Jesus say to Nicodemus? He says, it's both. Both of these things have to happen for this spiritual transformation in your life water baptism and spirit baptism. I sometimes explain it to people like this. This is helpful for me to understand it. Uh, It's kind of like water baptism is to spirit baptism as a wedding is to a marriage. Let me explain what I mean by that. Think about a wedding. It's the first day of your marriage. It is this threshold through which you have to go to enter into a new life, a new relationship, uh, the the two separate things coming together and becoming one. It's it's a life of transformation and of joy, and it's different. Uh, But they work together. They kind of, one leads to the other. I feel the same is true about water baptism. It's this threshold into which you live this spirit-immersed life. And this is what Jesus tells Nicodemus is important, that he's something that he has to have here. 
Uh, and he also tells him this language at the end here about coming out of the darkness. He says, I came to save the world. I'm not here to judge the world, but the world stands in judgment already because it remains in the darkness and refuses to come into the light. So he not only invites Nicodemus to this water baptism and the spirit baptism, this, this new spiritual rebirth, but he also calls him out of the dark. He tells him to come out of the darkness and come into the light, which is kind of an appropriate thing to say to someone that you're meeting in the dead of night in a dark and secret place. He's kind of calling him to come to faith in Jesus. But again, it's not painting the spiritual picture and saying, this is, this is what it's like for some people. He's saying, this is what you need in your life. This is what I'm inviting you to. And like I said, this invitation, I think, is something that's important for us to observe and ask ourselves. We may have received this invitation, but we are we inviting others to this? I think sometimes Christians are just waiting for their neighbors to come knocking on their door and say, okay, Ned Flanders, I want you to tell me all about Jesus. It's like, great, I fell right on my lap. I will I'll be happy to tell you about Jesus. Sometimes that happens, every once in a while. Not very often, to be honest. I think spiritual transformation happens when the invitation is extended. When we say things to people like, do you want to know more about Jesus? Can I tell you about this Christ who has changed my life? Or when we say things like, would you like to watch and learn from Jesus with me? And we actually extend that invitation to people. I'm saying this and I'm thinking about the fact that I am <laughs> preaching about Jesus in a park at night, in the dark, and nobody's hearing this. I'm all by myself and I'm realizing it's very easy to study the scriptures, to talk about Jesus, to talk about the importance of inviting. And I think about some opportunities that I have to do this in the daytime, in the daylight, uh, with people that I know and care about, and how many opportunities that I've missed. I just want to say, I don't want to be somebody who believes in Jesus in the dark. I want my faith to be public. I want people to see the light that is shining for Christ. Not so that I can receive any credit or glory, but so that people can come to know Jesus as well. In order for that to happen, I think we need to get into the habit of inviting people more often. Of asking the question. And not, not inviting in a way like, this is something that you really need, and so I'm going to give it to you, or I'm going to show it to you. Because remember, it's about an invitation. It's, it's kind of like if you have a workout buddy. You don't say, you really need to get in shape, and I'll stand over here and count the reps for you because I don't really need this. It's more of an invitation where it says, like, we both need this, and I need you to help me in following Jesus. This series that we're doing right now, Watch and Learn, is designed for people to say, hey, let's discover how to be disciples of Jesus together. Let's follow Jesus and then ask ourselves, what does it mean to be faithful in following Jesus? And if you haven't invited somebody to do this with you, I really encourage you to do this. You can invite somebody in your life to study scripture with you. You can read through the Gospel of John or just look at different instances and experiences in the life of Jesus and then talk about them together. Have a phone conversation. Just text each other and say, wow, wasn't this interesting? Or, well, what does this mean? That's a way of journeying together and inviting somebody along for the ride as well. You can invite somebody to discuss the discipleship questions that we post on our website every week with you. This could be a regular discipline 
And I honestly think that inviting somebody to the Tri-Valley Church to see what we do, to hear the songs we sing and listen to the, to the scripture along with us has never been easier because they don't even have to show up at a place. They don't have to leave their home. You can send them the link and say, hey, we're, we're trying to follow Jesus together. If you're interested in seeing what this is about, check it out. Uh, I really want to encourage you guys to do that. We see Jesus extending the invitation, and that's something that we need to do as well. So in this encounter, we've observed Jesus uh, meeting Nicodemus at night, showing that he is willing to make time for him. We've seen Jesus uh, speaking in a language that Nicodemus can understand, and we see Jesus extending this invitation to him that's so important. And those are the three things that I want to challenge us this week as followers of Jesus. Well, the encounter with Nicodemus ends in the middle of chapter 3, and we don't really know what happens. We know a little bit about Nicodemus. We know that he was a Pharisee. And if I were to guess, I would say if he had a desk, it would be the kind of desk where all the papers are neatly stacked and arranged just so, maybe in alphabetical order. I can't really relate to that because my desk is a, is a pretty messy desk. I don't make time to arrange things. It's all just sort of scattered all over the place. But Nicodemus's desk is probably a lot more neat. And then he encounters Jesus, and Jesus opens the window to his office, and this strong breeze of the Holy Spirit gets blown in and scatters all of his neatly arranged answers and thoughts and ideas. And Nicodemus has a choice to make. Do I close the window, put my papers neatly back in order, or am I willing to trust Jesus? Am I willing to consider the possibility that my understanding of God was incomplete and this Holy Spirit, which is unpredictable, is something that I need in my life. John chapter 3 doesn't answer that question for us. Did Nicodemus follow Jesus after this encounter? But as we read throughout the rest of the Gospel of John, we see Nicodemus a couple more times. And it seems like he's getting closer, like his faith is getting stronger, like he's learning to trust and follow Jesus more and more. And that's what I hope that we are doing as his followers, as we watch and learn and remind ourselves that we should be treating people the way that Jesus did. I am going to go home now, and I am going to go to bed. Uh, I don't know what is lurking out here in the darkness, uh, but I am ready to be done. So I appreciate you guys listening and tuning in with me, and uh, I will look forward to seeing you on other legs of this journey together. <laughs>